Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. We can see that illuminated sign that marks the end of the journey. This vaccine will help us to get past this pandemic once and for all. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people going, oh, I'm not so sure. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing. And good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepker. Well, we begin, Roger, with the reopening of schools because the Education Secretary has now announced an extra £400 million of funding to help children catch up uh, in the classroom on time that they have missed during the pandemic. £300 million of money has already been announced by the government and it's hoped that secondary schools in England will use that cash to run classes through the summer holidays. Now, there have also been calls for the school day to be extended to help those who've been at hope during the pandemic. The Education Secretary, Gavin Williamson, hasn't ruled that out. We're looking at a whole range, a a broad range of different options of how we can support schools, how we can support teachers, but most importantly, how we can support children. Well, there have been concerns, of course, about teachers burning out if they have to keep on working throughout the holidays. Williamson has said it's up to head teachers to decide how to use the money. could be used, for example, to pay teachers for overtime to do extra teaching. Now, the Scottish government has outlined its proposed path out of lockdown the day after Boris Johnson set out his roadmap for England. First Minister Nicola Sturgeon's plan is more cautious on the reopening of schools, but does see a general reopening of the Scottish economy from the end of April. Joining us now is Christine Jardine, who's Liberal Democrat MP for Edinburgh West and the party's Treasury spokesperson. Christine, welcome to the programme. Thanks for being with us today. Um, We do have the plan for ending the Scottish lockdown. We also have Boris Johnson's scheme. Uh, Which of them makes more sense as far as you're concerned? Um, As far as I'm concerned, I think we need to keep following the evidence. I'm not sure either of them actually are. Um, And If we follow the evidence, we should do what the scientists are telling us. If Boris Johnson had done that in the first place, um, we may not have had to have this other lockdown. Um, The Scottish advice is actually very puzzling. Um, Millions of people in this country have made untold sacrifices in the past year and been isolated from their families, you know, businesses shuttered. I walked along a high street in Edinburgh today and, you know, it's deserted. Um, Boris's roadmap, he needs to get right this time. We can't go back. And the same has to be said of the Scottish government. But the thing about the Scottish government one is people don't understand it. At least we can see where Boris is coming from. In Scotland, you know, they were behind with the vaccines and they've managed to to accelerate that. And they tell us now that they're doing a fantastic job and, you know, the death rate is lower than anywhere else, you know, in the UK and all sorts of wonderful stories. If it's that good, why are we being kept in lockdown longer? And people are saying to me, what is she doing? Why are we having to stay in this? And the, the tiered system, just to explain, the tiered system, if we all come out of this and go into tier three, that means we're all still in lockdown. So there's dreadful confusion about exactly what it is the Scottish government is seeing and what they're trying to do. 
Yeah, um, uh, yeah, and, and the question of why there was not simply a united um, policy for the whole of the UK, which, you know, um, end-to-end is, what, only 10 hours driving. Um, other countries have frankly, sort of... Uh, sorry? Frankly, that's because... Uh, frankly, that's because the Scottish government don't want to. Hmm. You know, I mean, it's a political decision. Yeah. That's where uh, people like me get very frustrated that... It's not about, um, and this may not go down well with some people, but this is not always about what is best for the people of Scotland, despite what Nicola Sturgeon says on her you know, uh, podium every day on the BBC. It is often about the politics of simply showing to be different from England. And we hear SNP MPs um, in Westminster every day telling people across the United Kingdom and every debate about everything, that no matter what it is, it's better in Scotland because they're doing it differently. No, it's not. And I think it's time that we started putting what is best for people before the politics of wanting another independence referendum. And frankly, it's very frustrating in Scotland at the moment. Well, on that point, I mean, a lot of what's going to go on next is down to money. Uh, How long can we afford to support uh, people yep. in the way that we have done. Now, uh, some of these things, of course, are, are regional. Some of them belong in Westminster. Some of them belong in Edinburgh. But we've got a budget next week from Rishi Sunak, some of which will have an effect on Scotland. What should the policy be on continued support? Furlough, business rates, universal credit uplift. Is it is it time to rethink those, to extend them further? Well, first of all, I have to say, everything Rishi Sunak says next week will have an impact on Scotland. Because Scotland would not be in the position it's in at the moment if it was not getting the money from the UK exchequer that the Scottish government has to, to help businesses in Scotland. So we're all affected. This is, this is a fallacy that's, that the Scottish government put about. What Rishi Sunak says next week will affect all of us. And I look at it from a different perspective. We cannot afford not to carry on with furlough. We cannot afford not to carry on with all the business schemes, at least until the end of this year. Because um, if we're going to come out of this with an economy which is in any way, any reasonable shape at all, then we have to do what Rishi Sunak himself said about a year ago now, whatever it takes. And this constant, you know, patchwork, you know, we'll have another three months of furlough. We'll, oh, well, we'll extend it a month. Well, we'll have another three months. That's not good enough. Businesses need certainty. Businesses need to be able to plan. And he needs to extend it at least until the end of the year. But the other thing is, there are still millions of people in this country who have had no support whatsoever. Uh, company directors, self-employed, um, a vast array of people, you know, taxi drivers, hairdressers, who are, who are struggling in a lot of cases to get by through no fault of their own, simply because they've been following the rules. Now, what Rishi needs to do next mm. week is something for those people. We need something big. We need to make, we need to level the playing field. We've had the, the Amazons of, of this world. We've all, we've all turned to them. I've, I've done it myself because we can't get, you know, um, florists or um, dry cleaners or whatever. Everything is being consolidated. Now, something needs to be done to ensure that the profits that have been made by these huge companies is somehow redistributed. Not all of it, but just the excess profit is somehow redistributed to help save the small companies who are going to go under, the shops, the independent retailers, the, mm. the, you know, all of these companies. Something has to be done to redistribute that. 
Okay, I mean, that's done through the tax system, through HMRC, which is a progressive tax system in the UK. So then on that point, when should Rishi Sunak start thinking about how to pay for all of this? And more importantly, which taxes do you think he should focus on, on increasing? I mean, already corporation tax seems to be uh, in the firing line, but things like stamp duty will perhaps be held down. Um, So that leaves, you know, VAT and income tax. Well, I would have hoped that Rishi Sunak's been thinking about this for a year. I, you know, I really hope that he has, we, we haven't seen much sign of it, but I respect, you know, I, I respect the man and I would hope that the government has been thinking for a year. How do we get out of this? What do we do at the end of it? He did say, um, I seem to remember right at the very beginning, his first statement where he outlined furlough. Um, he did say that we may have to look at the, the tax system at the end of it. But to me, mm-hmm. it's not about looking at individual taxes. What, um, if we start messing about with the tax system at the moment, you know, that's going to cause even more confusion. Uh, businesses have been hit with the double whammy of COVID-19, which, to be fair, the government couldn't have done very much to, you know, to prevent. They haven't managed it very well, but they couldn't have prevented it. Brexit is now causing untold... Um, problems for lots of companies up and down the United Kingdom mm. that they could have done something about. Um, so we, what we don't want to see, particularly small businesses landed with now, is more changes, more uncertainty, more red tape. They need a business rates relief, VAT relief, and think about how we get people out of this and, uh, you know, reschedule tax in a way that they're not lumbered with huge debt at the end of it. Yeah. Christine, I need to ask you about something that's very important in where you are at the moment, which is, uh-huh. of course, the ongoing uh, scandal, I think we better describe it as, uh, involving the former First Minister Alex Salmond and his successor Nicola Sturgeon and the process that brought him into court. Of course, he was acquitted of all charges yeah. uh, involving allegations of sexual uh, abuse. What do you make of it? I mean, we've reached a stage where it seems to be getting to the point where Nicola Sturgeon herself may be under threat. Well, um, you'll understand I'll have to be a bit circumspect of what I say because there was a court case. Alex Salmond was cleared. Um, he was acquitted. Um, we have an ongoing inquiry at the Scottish Parliament. Um, a committee of inquiry is looking at it and um, one of my colleagues, Alex Paul Hamilton, is on that committee. But as a voter in Scotland and a member of the public, I'm looking at it absolutely aghast that we have this shambles going on and this infighting in the party, the current party of government. Um, It seems very bitter, very intense. Um, There are spats on Twitter. um, It it does look... I mean, it's really not healthy for um, the Scottish government. It's not healthy for Scotland if, at a time of national crisis, which we are at the moment, the Scottish National Party is focused on, you know, an argument and a bitter, bitter dispute between its former leader and its current leader. And one of the things that's come out is come to the uh, fore in the last couple of weeks was um, one of the women who was um, at the centre of the allegations, who made the allegations against the former First Minister, um, was interviewed in television and said that they, um, the women who were involved are all now finding this um, as traumatic as the court case because they're being dragged through it all again. They're having to go through it. Um, and they seem to have been forgotten in this. They seem to have been put to one side, and it's all political infighting. And the other point which was made yesterday by someone, I'm sorry, I forget who, was that the second person to be First Minister of Scotland was Henry McLeish, the Labour politician. And he had to resign 
because um, there was a mix-up over his um, rent for his yeah. constituency office. Nobody actually remembers what it was now, but yeah. Henry McLeish had to resign. That pales into insignificance well, in comparison to what we're seeing um, in the but, SNP at the moment. Right, somebody well, has to. Somebody soon will have to resign, I think. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. We begin with the UK vaccine rollout, as fewer jabs have been administered in recent days, prompting concerns about supplies. The slowdown's being blamed on issues relating to some manufacturers. But England's Deputy Chief Medical Officer, Jonathan Van Tam, insists there are always going to be supply fluctuations with virus vaccines. You do get kind of batch size variations, uh, and that's kind of natural. And it's going to take a few months before the manufacturers really get into this very confident, very steady manufacturing routine. Nearly 18 million people across the UK have now had their first jab. Mm. This comes, though, as AstraZeneca is said to have told the EU that it will deliver less than half of the COVID vaccines that it committed to supply in the second quarter. Bloomberg sources confirm a report by Reuters that the British pharmaceutical company now plans to provide less than 90 million doses. That's down from an expected 180 million. That's after a similar shortfall in the first quarter as well. So much more difficult in terms of supply in the EU. Meanwhile, the drip feed ahead of next week's budget continues. The Times now reporting Rishi Sunak's preparing to extend the stamp duty holiday by three months until the end of June. The government last year exempted most buyers from the levy if they completed their purchase before March 31st, 2021. The holiday enables people to save up to £15,000 in taxes. But the Chancellor's faced pressure to extend the deadline and made concerns it would create a cliff edge, jeopardising hundreds of thousands of sales. And now the Times says Sunak will move it to the end of June. Bring it into line with the easing of lockdown restrictions. And now we were talking about this earlier. The former Scottish First Minister Alex Salmond has decided not to appear before a committee investigating the Scottish government's handling of complaints against him. Salmond had been due to give evidence, but is angry that parts of his written statements were blanked out before being published. An investigation into sexual harassment claims against the ex SNP leader was found to have been unlawful. Well, let's pick up on this with Bloomberg Opinions columnist Therese Raphael, who joins us now. Uh, Therese, thanks for being with us again. Uh, It is a ferociously complicated uh, subject, this whole battle between the former uh, leader of the Scottish National Party and the current one. Uh, What has been happening this week and where is it going? Well, I think to understand that battle, it's... You know, the first thing to say is that it can't end well for either, um, because for Alex Salmon, what's on the line now is his legacy uh, as the head of the Scottish uh, National Party, indeed is the driving force uh, behind the Scottish nationalist movement. And for Sturgeon, though, it's about her career and whether she can even, you know, maintain her current position. And the, the you know, the 
dispute this week is over, um, well, the investigation into allegations of sexual abuse by Salmon collapsed uh, due to procedural blunders, which were said to give the appearance that the inquiry was prejudiced. Sturgeon claimed that she knew nothing of the investigation, but Salmon insists that she did know, uh, and, and indeed they met at his home at a time when it was ongoing. Now, if she's found to have lied, and there's a review into that now, that's normally a resignation issue. Um, so there is now a, a dispute over whether he appears uh, before, the, whether he'll give testimony. Um, but, you know, w- regardless of what happens, I think this is very damaging, uh, obviously for Salmond, but also for Sturgeon. And then the question becomes how that feeds through to the SNP's, you know, ultimate raison d'etre, which is to get a, another referendum and, uh, and secede from the union. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is um, a kind of, and it's such a long running issue too that has sort of been rumbling along. Um, But look, on to other matters um, around the UK. The Northern Ireland Joint Committee is meeting for the first time today to try to work out the issue around the Brexit border. This is another huge sort of um, problem. Failure to agree something would actually ramp up tensions with implications for the broader trade relationship. And this goes back, of course, to the agreement between the UK and the EU on Brexit. Yeah, I mean, we had that exchange of letters, very sort of testy exchange of letters Mm. between Michael Gove and Maro Sefcovic a couple of weeks ago. They then met in person, they dialed down the tensions, and now this is a quite a crucial meeting. The UK is asking for grace periods on checks and controls on goods going from GB from Great Britain to Northern Ireland, such as food and parcels. Um, Those grace periods are due to end in April, and the UK wants it extended until 2023. And the the European Commission has charged uh, Britain with failing to hold up its side of the uh, withdrawal agreement deal, not not putting in checks in place, not allowing um, the kinds of uh, controls that would ensure that goods going to Northern Ireland don't go into the the single market uh, when they haven't complied with with EU rules. So uh, I think it's in the interest of both sides to make sure that they can arrive at some kind of agreement there, because as you say, the the implication, if they cannot, is that uh, it will again become a very charged political Mm. issue. It will have, um, you know, it it will affect so many other areas of the trade relationship that remain open, um, and that includes, you know, financial services, um, fisheries, which will have to be reviewed, and there are just lots of parts of uh, elements of that uh, trading agreement that was reached in December that are under constant review or that will be tweaked in various committees. So once this becomes political, once trust breaks down, it just, you know, it just can't help but affect um, other areas of the relationship. But isn't there a, a fundamental problem with all this, Therese, which, which is structurally it, it's not likely to work? And this was seen way back even when the, when the referendum originally went through in 2016. You can't have no border and a border at the same time. And is it perhaps a recognition of reality that this, it can't work as it is? Yeah, I mean, the problem here is that, you know, Boris Johnson has never really publicly accepted that what he signed up to was a border down the Irish Sea. So he said 
that uh, those in Northern Ireland uh, won't feel a thing, they won't notice anything, is different. And of course they have. And so this is largely about trying to erase those visible signs of a border. But, you know, as you say, that's, that's going to be hard to do. These are, there are there are, you know, new frictions, um, and the, you know, one way of, of trying to smooth things would be, you know, more kind of transfers to Northern Ireland, but obviously the exchequer's got quite a lot on at the moment, uh, and many demands on, on, on public funds. And meanwhile, we now have the, the unionists in Northern Ireland uh, who, you know, have basically decided to just stop cooperating. Arlene Foster's described any extension as a sticking plaster. So um, that's, you know, there's a question of whether um, you mm. know, the whole thing becomes governable. Yeah, I mean, look, Brandon Lewis, Cabinet Minister, saying um, that the government is focused on making the Northern Ireland Protocol work in a positive way. So, yeah, make of that uh, what you will. Let's also talk, um, though, Therese, about the other big issue. And it's not just in the UK, but it's really globally. Are we or are we not going to end up with vaccine passports? Um, do they make sense? How would it be done? Uh, lots of people chewing it over. And lots of people have already had vaccines in the UK. And um, as far as I know, you don't get to walk away with a piece of paper or even anything digital to tell people that you've had it. So what's the debate? Yeah, it's a fascinating issue and one the government initially sort of dismissed but is now very, um, you know, is now studying. Michael Gove is in charge of uh, a review of that and Boris Johnson admitted when he gave his roadmap that it's a very thorny issue. Mm. I mean, I think there, there are two issues. One is do you, do you have a vaccine passport for international travel? And, and in some ways that's more straightforward because that's something that countries would impose and the UK would simply have to enable uh, by providing some, some kind of proof of, of inoculation. But the question that is, I think, really exercising the government now is whether um, for domestic purposes you would need some kind of proof of vaccination. So to enter a restaurant, to enter mm. a pub, uh, or to go to a sporting event. And, you know, there are fairness issues um, and there are there are ethical issues. What do you do with people who haven't been vaccinated? And, you know, it may be less sort of less complicated um, than they initially thought. If they can, for example, use the NHS app uh, to, to feed through uh, vaccinations, that might be a way to do it. But they're going to also have to find a way for people who haven't been vaccinated or, you know, indeed who've refused the vaccine to still uh, gain entry into these places, maybe through uh, testing, and then it becomes a question of cost. So all of that is being reviewed now. Um, but, you know, I, I, in a way, I think you know, once we had the, the NHS test and trape trace app mm. up we've now accepted a certain degree of you know intrusion into um you know into into, into our healthcare uh really profiles and and this is just you know potentially brings that one step further yeah and briefly I, one can imagine the huge legal arguments court cases that might arise not least because some people for medical reasons can't have uh, a, a, an injection and also of course not everyone has the app i mean it, it seems full of holes doesn't it briefly yeah, I, th I think it's it, it's going to ha they're going to have to work out the technical issues, and then they're going to have to work very carefully through these privacy and potential legal issues, and and that's why a review has been set up. Um, but the government's acknowledged, you know, quite quite clearly that this is not a straightforward issue. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.